0: those songs sure do take me back to uh, camp days and university days when I sang those songs a lot more. <laughs> uh, I do love those songs towards the back of the book and uh, um, try to sing them when I can, but I don't get as much chance to lead singing as uh, Bob or Matt or even, even Ralph. He's lead singing more than I do, I think, so... Uh, uh, but I enjoy getting to do it when I can, and I make sure my microphone is on. I forgot to have that this morning, I'll make sure uh, Ralph can hear me out there. I know y'all can hear me in here, no problem, but uh, make sure he can hear me out there. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 10 tonight. And I thought what we would do tonight is think about a topic that I know I need to be reminded of, on a regular occasion, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. Uh, So that's what we're going to do tonight, uh, is get that needed reminder. Paul writes to the brethren in Corinth, we're going to start in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 10, he says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Paul is talking about the Israelites who came out of Egypt, who were led out of Egypt by Moses, that wonderful story that we read about in those early chapters, you know, the plagues and the Passover and the Red Sea and the manna from heaven and all of these things. And we learned that God was not pleased with them. Well, we should, if, if we've read the Old Testament, if we've read the, the Torah, the Pentateuch, the, those first five books of the Old Testament, we should know that. So Paul, why are you telling us this? Look at verse 6. Now these things took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Oh, that's why Paul is telling us something that maybe we would already know if we've read the Old Testament. Paul is telling us we can learn from the mistakes of those in the past so that we don't make the same mistakes they did. What did they do? What did they do that was so bad that God was not pleased with them? Well, we read that they were idolaters in verse 7. Yeah, that sounds pretty bad. We know God said, you know, you shall have no other gods before me, that they shouldn't make graven images of anything that was uh, on the earth or in the heavens and and not to bow down and worship those objects. So yeah, idolatry sounds like a big deal. Sexual immorality, verse 8, they were sexually immoral. Yeah, we know that's a big deal. The Bible has scriptures and, and teachings about that all over the Old and the New Testament. <clears throat> verse 9, they put the Lord to the test. Isn't that what Jesus said when Satan tempted him in Matthew 4 and Luke 4? It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then we see in verse 10, they grumbled. They grumbled. We might say, Complained. Is that really such a big deal well Paul put complaining by inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the way right in there in the same list with sins that we know are big sins you know idolatry sexual immorality so if Paul thought it was important enough to mention alongside those other sins then yeah I think it's worth paying attention to So I want us to take a few minutes tonight and look at God's Word and think about why is complaining a problem? Why shouldn't we do it? Five reasons for you tonight, and they they won't they won't be very long, but five quick things for us this evening as we study God's Word together. Number one, complaining shows a lack of trust. If you have footnotes or cross-references in your Bible, you might have there a cross-reference at 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 10, which is the verse uh, where it mentions they're grumbling, they're complaining. Uh, And it might take you back to Numbers chapter 14 and verse 2, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Okay, that's the same word that I see in 1 Corinthians 10. Again, we might use the word complain. They complained against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness? In other words, it would have been better for us to stay there. Better to die in Egypt than to get to this point and all it'd be all for naught. Well, what were they complaining about? What was the situation that brought this on? In Numbers 14, well, we got to go back to Numbers 13 and 14 and get the situation, get the, the the details of what was happening. In Numbers chapter 13, Moses sends 12 men, one for each of the tribes of Israel, and he sends them to check out the land of Canaan because they were right there on the border on the southern border of the land of Canaan. They had been traversing across the, the what we would call the Sinai Peninsula for for a period of time. And they had come up to Kadesh Barnea and there they were on the border. So Moses sends some people in to, to scope out the land. They spend 40 days. They're gathering information. Uh, all that they can about the land that God had already promised to give them. That's why we call it the promised land. God had already told them, it's already yours then they come together and give their report. Numbers 13, will start in verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought word back to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is... It's fruit. Sounds good so far, doesn't it? However, that's my very next word in verse 28. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they, they brought to the people of Israel bad reports of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height, and there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. In other words, we can't do this. They're too strong. They're too big. This land is, is, not, is not what we, we can't do this. It's not worth it. And so we see the response of the people. At the beginning of chapter 14, all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled, They complained against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. They said, We can't do this. We'd be better off back in Egypt. Take just a moment. Think about all that God had done for these people up to this point. He brought them out of a Egyptian bondage, they were slaves put to hard labor tasks set on them that were impossible to complete. God brought them out by the hand of Moses. He destroyed their enemies, the Egyptians in the Red Sea, destroyed the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. He'd given them food and water. They didn't even have to work for it. They just had to go out in the morning and collect the manna. Collect enough for that day, enough for two days on on Friday so they didn't have to do it on the Sabbath. They had water that they needed. He had even defeated other enemies, the Amalekites back in Exodus chapter 17 when the Amalekites came and challenged them. God defeated the Amalekites. What reason had God given these people to distrust Him? None. He, he, he had given them no reason to distrust, to distrust Him. In fact, He had given them every reason to trust Him. But they came to the borders of Canaan, and their faith grew weak. They could not see how God... Well, some, a couple of them could. Caleb and Joshua, they, they said it was okay. <laughs> but the rest of them, they could not see how God would grant them the conquest of this land. And so they complained because they didn't trust God. You know, I don't want it to ever be said of me that I don't trust my God. He's never given me any reason to doubt him. He's never given me any reason not to trust him. In fact, as, as he had with the, these Israelites, he has given me every reason time and time again that I should trust him in all things. Think about what David said in Psalm 9 and verse 10. Those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. And he never will. So I have no reason not to trust him. So so I have no reason to complain about the situations that I find myself in. Because I, I trust that God, whatever his plan may be. I may not know the plan. But I know the one who has the plan and I trust him. So it's in my best interest not to be a complainer. Another reason that complaining is a problem is it shows a lack of appreciation. If you're familiar with the story of the Exodus, and I'm sure many of us are at least somewhat familiar, if we're familiar with the time in the wilderness, we we know very well That Numbers 14 is not the only time that the Israelites complained, is it? (laughs) Go back to Numbers 11. Just a page or two back, probably. Notice what Moses writes about them in Numbers 11, verse 4 through 6. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish, uh, the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic, but now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. I'll be the first to admit, I've kind of been there before when there, there, there wasn't a lot of option for what to eat. And I would think, I am so tired of eating the same thing every day. I just want something different. And I read about these Israelites. I read about them complaining about the manna that God gave to them freely, that they really didn't even have to work for. And I think, man, y'all should be grateful that you have something to eat. And then I remember that old adage like whenever you point your finger at somebody, you've got three fingers pointing back at yourself. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'll admit that it's easy to complain about a routine when we grow tired of the the same old thing and, and we just want something different. But maybe it's times like that we need to remember the blessings of contentment. I know we talked about that just a couple of weeks ago. Philippians 4, verses 10... Through 13, where Paul talks about the gift that the Philippians had sent to him. He was thankful for it. But he, but he told them, I, I'm I'm content. I'm paraphrasing whether I have a lot, whether I have a little, whether I'm hungry or, or whether I'm full in, 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 in poverty and abundance, I am content because I know the secret. My strength comes from Christ. And so I'm going to appreciate everything that I do have. I'm not going to complain about what I don't have because I have Christ in my life. And that's better than anything else. Some things may not always go exactly like we would want them to go. What is it? uh, You know, the, the saying, life's not fair. You know, that was, that was a hard lesson to learn, but it's a lesson that, that's got to be learned. It doesn't always go our way. It doesn't always go according to plan. I think the Bible talks to us about that in James chapter 4, about making plans. Come now, you say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit. You don't even know what your life what, what, what day what tomorrow will bring. You're a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. God may have something else in mind. He may have another plan. May it never be said of me that I don't appreciate what's been done for me. God's provided for me. He's cared for me. He saved me from sin. He's saving me every day as I study the Word and I I come to know that that His will for me and I I repent and, and do right. God is... Is, is doing that for me every day, and I know he's got something waiting prepared for me. And I'm going to complain for something that ultimately is not going to be there in the end. I'm going to complain about some, some, some little inconvenience today. It shows a lack of appreciation, it also shows a lack of love. God's not the only one against whom we complain sometimes. In fact, it's probably more common we complain against each other, isn't it? Something that someone does or doesn't do. We can be critical at times, can't we? We can be very critical of one another at times. Even even if somebody does something for our benefit, I wouldn't have done it like that. (laughs) <laughs> you, ever, you ever been there? Maybe, maybe you've been on the receiving end of that. Maybe you've been on the giving end of that. I, I've been both. I'll admit to you. First of all, it shows a lack of appreciation, which we just talked about. But it could also be, I, I think it also shows a lack of love. And, and listen, I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, constructive criticism. I'm not talking about, you know, genuinely trying to help someone. Maybe say, hey, you know, this might be easier. This might work better. That, that, that's one thing. I'm talking about complaining and not really doing much else. Right? Because that's usually, if we're complaining, we're probably not doing anything. We're just running our mouths. Making noise. You know, think about what Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 39. What's the great command? love the lord your god with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two depend on all the law and the prophets. Paul said in Romans 13 and verse 9 that you shall love your neighbor as yourself that this the commandments are summed up in those words. Of course that goes back to Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18 where God said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But I think about it. What Jesus said in Matthew 7 and verse 12. And you know the golden rule. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Sometimes we, we, we sum it up, we paraphrase it. Treat others the way that you want to be treated. And you know, Jesus wasn't the first one to ever say this or say something like this. I'm pretty sure Confucius lived before the time of Christ. The, the Chinese philosopher. Pretty sure he lived in the the BC era, you know, he said something a lot like this. Muhammad came after, you know, the, the the prophet of the the Muslim faith. He said something like this. What's different though is both of those teachers simply said, "Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you." I sometimes call that the silver rule. It's a it's a, it's a good it's a good rule to live by. You know you. You don't want somebody to do that to you? Don't do it to them. Jesus takes it a step further. He says, or maybe theirs didn't go far enough because Jesus is the standard. His is a a command to do something. Not just to refrain from doing something. Yes, that's part of it. If you don't want somebody to treat you a certain way, don't treat them that way. But also He commands us to do something. Something for others. But think about it. Who wants someone to complain about the effort that they put forth? Show of hands? Anybody want people to complain about it? I didn't think so. Because I know I don't like it. So if I'm gonna love my neighbor as myself, and, and not do to another what I wouldn't want them to do to me. I better keep a check on my complaining because <laughs> it's not it's not loving. Number four. Complaining hurts our influence. Turn over Philippians chapter two with me, the New Testament <clears throat> Philippians 2. Look at verse 14 and 15. Paul says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I I love this passage in Matthew Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a basket, but to put it on a stand where it can give light to all who are in the house. You are the light of the world. So let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory (coughs) to your Father who is in heaven. I recognize... And you recognize there is a lot of darkness in this world. If I turned out all these lights in here and it's mostly dark outside, if we turned out all these lights, closed up these windows, turned off these screens, it would be dark in here. But you know, if it was that dark and all I had was a little match, I'd be able to by it. Because a little bit of light in darkness makes a big difference. A lot of light in, in darkness makes an even bigger difference. We're light in this world. We are the light. We're, we're the ones who through our example, through our faithfulness, through, through our, our good works, through, through our love, we dispel the darkness. That's who we're called to be. But according to Paul, If we're complaining a lot, (laughs) or if we're complaining at all, we're not shining our light. It's hurting our influence. Why would anybody want to be a Christian? Why would anyone want to come to church if all they ever hear me do is complain about everything? What, what, What makes you want to be around somebody like that all the time? Why do you want to go to church with somebody like that? It hurts our influence. You can't shine like you're supposed to if you're complaining. I can't shine like I'm supposed to if I'm complaining. May may, may we not let our influence for Christ suffer because of complaining. The fifth and final reason this is the simplest one God said don't do it I I, I, I could have made that my entire sermon and it would have been the truth we would have gone home early look at 1 Corinthians again look at verse 9 and 10 I'm going to read them together so it makes a complete sentence We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. We must not do this. Again, Paul's writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He is writing the Word of God. He said, don't complain. And again, in Philippians 2, he said, do all things without grumbling, complaining, or disputing. If the first four points of this lesson did not exist, if you couldn't give me any other reason why I should not complain, the fact that an apostle of Jesus Christ said, don't do it, should be enough. God, if God says it, that settles it. And personally, that, that should be good enough for me. It doesn't take a lot of effort to complain. It's easy to do. You know, there's, there's always going to be things that we would, we would like better. There's always going to be things that we would do differently. There's always going to be things that would make us more comfortable. There are no shortage of reasons to complain. But if we're going to be the people of God, and it's going to take the effort, we're going to have to put forth that effort and keep ourselves from it. Why? Because we don't want to show a lack of trust in Our God and the things that He's promised us. We don't want to show a lack of appreciation for all that our God has done for us. We don't want to show a lack of love for our brother or sister in in, in the Lord. We don't want to hurt our influence for the gospel of Christ. And finally, we don't want to disobey God. He said, Don't do it. So maybe you need to repent of the sin of complaining. I I imagine many, if not all of us, probably need to do that in some regard. Maybe it's something that's between you and God. You can pray about it and, and, and be forgiven. Maybe it's something you need to do publicly this evening. And if that's what you need, then that's what we want you to do. We want to encourage one another. We want to stand together and love one another. And pray for one another if that's the need. So we're going to extend the invitation. We're going to sing a song to encourage us. If you need to respond, please do. Let us pray for one another. If if there's something else, maybe it's not related to complaining, there's something else, and you need to respond, do so. Let's stand together and let's sing a song of encouragement.